When do you have time to do that? I don't have time to do anything. <laughs> I haven't even watched the IndyCar race, dude. I feel so embarrassed. Here we are about to record. I don't know anything about the IndyCar race. Right now, the first car one lap down is Brad and Joe. Hi, I'm stupid. Hi, I'm stupid. Oh, come on. You know what? Ah. I've raised this heart for last in my life. And welcome to lap 38 of the One Lap Down podcast with brad dunn and myself joe hutzler uh brad first things first man we're usually recording at 10 30 at night but it's 10 30 in the morning how does that feel it feels great you know just you know as is life every day we just try to find time to do what we need to do and here we are <laughs> here we are yeah and i'm i'm disappointed that you didn't say that you said my last name because usually you go this is one lap down with brad and joe and i was really ready to key in on Brad and Joe, each with a cup of Joe, because yes. Joe was drinking coffee. I'm quite concerned about him, to be honest with everybody. <laughs> if like, I'm did, drinking... Did your Richmond re weekend really take that much out of you? <laughs> it must have. Well, to be honest with you, I'll talk more about why I'm, uh, I think I'm tired later on in the show. Uh, it has to deal with some eye racing last night. Um, don't, don't tell me that you got other stuff going on, so it's, uh, like, like COVID. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Well, that's, that's the whole thing, right? Like we're trying to fit time in to do this show because we've got so much other stuff going on. And if I'm drinking coffee, you know that it's, it's, it's going to be a, a long week or has been a long week already. So stuff to cover, but unfortunately this is going to be a quick episode today, huh? Yeah, most likely. Um, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into our friends across the pond. This is Lights Out. It's lights out and away we go! Victoire de Pierre We were back at Monza and for the second straight year, a wild finish in Italy with a 1-2 finish for McLaren. Way to go, Brad! What a weekend. What a week. I, got, I have to backtrack a little bit because I had a college football Saturday. My family's big Oregon fans. If you're in the United States, they... Oregon wins a big upset game at Ohio State. All these college football games going well the way I want them to. And wake up on Sunday morning. To, and even that, you know, that being said, I think the sprint race was pretty entertaining to watch. You know, and, uh, you know I was excited about that. Um, great start for Danny Rick and put himself in good position. And Valtteri has to go to the back after the sprint race. Uh, and so, you know, here we are on Sunday for a Grand Prix. I'm excited. I love Monza. And boom. You know, action, there's drama. And at the end of the day, my favorite team is up there taking one, two, the first one, two, if you didn't know, for a constructor this season. Nobody else has gone one, two, which, Joe, when you and I were talking last night, kind of found that hard to believe. I think just being indoctrinated in the dominance of Mercedes last year. So, really exciting to like get a chance to see um, that and redemption, right? You keep seeing these redemption road posts for Daniel Ricardo and getting the win. Uh, and then too, just, I think, you know, it's exciting because it, it seems pretty clear that Lando's the number one there at McLaren, but the team and Lando himself really focused on, you know, getting that one too. Right. And, you know, and he kind of, they held and, and especially the way that they picked up their pace at the end. I mean, they ran an extremely smart race, right? So I think it's just really cool to see, um, to see that team get into the mix and, I think everybody was pretty happy about that final result, um, and especially uh, especially the Danny Rick fans down under. So um, I'm going to try to uh, take us through uh, our top ten. Uh, but before I do that, any quick thoughts by you, Joe, as I as I pulled this tab back up um, that I have since lost? Yes. Uh, so first thought is you're correct. Very popular win. Not the McLaren driver I would have chosen to be the first winner of the season. Certainly with Lando's performances throughout the season uh, and Ricardo's struggle with the car. That was a bit of a shock as to far as who it was, um, but very happy, very popular win. Uh, first time since 2012, McLaren has won a race, which mm -hmm. if you know anything about F1 history, that just doesn't even sound possible, uh, but they have been really down uh, in the tubes for a long time. 
<laughs> Poor Fernando Alonso, man. When he was in McLaren, they couldn't get out of their own way, driving Honda engines. And now you've got a Honda team leading the points. McLaren's getting podiums. And he's trying to be happy about like an eighth place finish uh, at the end of the day. So uh, that was one of my thoughts. Congrats to George Russell. He's in the points again. It's becoming a normal thing for him, which is great. Uh, and great for the sport too, as he gets ready to go to Mercedes. And then another one, another thought I had related to the racing, I was, and I don't remember admittedly last year when I was watching Monza, I was hungover, but this year I was not. I don't remember it being that hard to pass. I thought there'd be, it'd be easier to pass, but man, I, it's when those long straight tracks, it's really easy to see what they mean by dirty air and how hard it really is to get close enough to somebody to pass them because there's just that bubble and that air that's keeping you from getting too close. Hence the yep. new car coming in next year. And I certainly hope that it works because if you add the drama that we already have at Monza and the speed that you have at Monza and you can pass easier, it's going to be wild next season. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, right. You get the toe, you get in that slipstream for the speed, but it's not going to let you get around that car. Right. right? And I think that's where we talk about the difference and what we've learned between F1 and NASCAR especially is that NASCARs are kind of built to be packed cars, right? Super speedways and, you know, even short track, you know, it's just, it's not the aero package, but they're all bunched up. And really like, I think that these F1 cars, I mean, they, they don't put them in the wind tunnel with another car in front of them, right? Like they are designed to be in clean air at all times. Right. It does affect it, but um, I do have the top 10 back pulled up in front of me. Uh, so a couple of things too, with all of the drama, we haven't even touched on the big piece of drama yet, but you know, some, I think these kind of these last five kind of went a little unnoticed. Uh, 10th place, we had Esteban Ocon. Worth noting, Nicholas Latifi there in 11th. Again, a great finish for Williams uh, because in ninth place, George Russell's in there in the points again not even making a big deal about it anymore. I mean, the first time he had P9, he was crying. And now it's just kind of like, that's a hard weekend, right? Uh, Fernando Alonso in eighth. Uh, Lance Stroll coming in in seventh. To me, just offhand, that feels like his highest, if not one of his highest finishes of the season. Uh, Carlos Sainz in sixth. Uh, Sergio Perez in front of him after a five-second penalty dealt to him on kind of a confusing rule about overtaking outside of the track. Uh, we had uh, Charles Leclerc coming in at fourth. A good day for the Ferraris, but I just they just didn't look like they had they didn't have the power to keep up with the McLarens and then the Mercedes and Red Bulls. Valtteri Bottas started in 20th at the very back of the pack and gets up there, puts himself on the podium in third. I mean, just like you know, let him lose, signs his new contract, has a great qualifying session, great sprint race. And to me, best driver of the weekend. I voted him driver of the day, uh, but you know, that ends up going to the guy who wins, uh, Lando Norris in second, and Daniel Ricciardo, driver of the day, fastest lap, Grand Prix victory. I mean, you couldn't really script a better day for McLaren, in my opinion. Absolutely not. And the celebrations fit the ceremony itself with the shoeys for Lando and for Zach. Um, Lando becomes the fourth driver not named Daniel Ricardo to experience a shoey and a fourth driver to absolutely hate it. Um, and how nasty it's gotta be. Um, but someone who didn't, who's not experienced a shoey, who used to be a teammate of Danny Ricks was Max Verstappen, who had what was probably going to be the best chance to catch Danny Rick there in second, a horrible pit stop for that crew, especially a 14 second. You're talking about a NASCAR pit stop with that kind of yeah. time it's way too long um horrible pit stop puts him in a back compromised position lewis has like a two second longer pit stop than usual they come out together and bang we have our prost senna moment we have our top two contenders get together in a very wild accident i will say not just getting together period but the way that it happened and uh max's car going up on top of lewis's and, and certainly at the end of the day, when you take away all the drama, you've got to take your hats off to those that designed the halo and the implementation of it, because, you know, the best driver in the world possibly ever could have been in real serious danger otherwise, if, if not for that device. So very happy from that standpoint. But, you know, we've got two weekends before the next race. And this is all we're going to hear about for that time is the Max and Lewis drama and Max getting a penalty. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like when it happened, we were screaming like you just I think watching these races, especially after Silverstone, you, it was going to happen. 
Like, like it, I, I mean, you watch like the history of Formula One, you see how tight, how competitive it is. I didn't expect it to happen this weekend. I didn't, for some reason, I just, I really didn't, you know, they're talking about just trying to drag out Max Verstappen's engine and wait if they're going to replace it, you know, like Valtteri and Mercedes did and what they were going to do. And I just, I didn't see it happening. And then, yeah, I was like, you just watch the replay. I don't know enough. You know, the, the FIA decided it was Max's fault, gives him a three grid penalty. I don't, I don't know. Like, I can't watch that as like, I'm not educated enough, right? We're, we're, we're more than one lap down when it comes to, like, <laughs> I haven't really understood one all year. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting, you know, so you watch it and to me, they look like they're, they're both at fault, but how could you fault them? I mean, they're competitive people and they're two of the best drivers that have ever been in those cars. So yeah. um, very glad that there wasn't something serious of an injury to come out of that. Interesting that Max just walked away when he saw his car on top of Lewis's head. Um, I get that he was frustrated and knew Lewis would be frustrated. He said afterwards that it was best to just walk away and cool off before they talked, but I think uh, in the moment I would have been more concerned about my competitor with a car on his head. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't like that for Max as much as a Max fan as I am, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, what I, what I do appreciate about the situation, at least the two McLarens were out ahead of them when that happened. So it's not like a gimme, like that's the only oh, reason yeah. to one Orlando got second. Right. The McLarens had positioned themselves out ahead of them. So, you know, that I think it's an honest race with that. And yeah, I just, I would have been very interested to see how the race, the rest of the race would have transpired. Because if Valtteri had that pace, I feel like that would have been a sure thing for Lewis to work his way back up and win that race. Yeah. From the get go, I said Lewis had the best car. Um, but that dirty air factor really played a role. He could not get around Lando for the longest time. And good driving by Lando as well. Yeah, absolutely. No question about that. Two things uh, you mentioned, you know, being a fan of Max, I'm arguably a bigger fan of Max than you are. So this was a really tough. I would argue, I would say that's the truth. <laughs> fan that I am. Um, so for me, it was very, it was an interesting emotional feeling. Um, initially, you, you get shades of Lewis cutting off Alex Albon, you know, back in the day because um, it looked like he cut him off. And then you watch it again. And it's one of those things where you're like, Max is my favorite driver. But I think after watching it, even after I texted you that day, I think Max was at fault. I think predominantly Max had the opportunity to cut through the slowdown area. And yes, he still would have been behind Lewis, but he would have been right on Lewis's tail and could, could fight for him as opposed with, to. Like with his tires at, at temperature and Lewis is coming right out of the pits, right? Right, right. That's and not, I. When I rewatched it, it's like, like, what are you doing? Just let, just let him go. Get behind him on the chicane or do the mm -hmm. cut through, and then take him on that next straight. Like, right. we watched several people that tried to make the move down down the pit lane straight, couldn't get it done. Worked their way, came out of that chicane with a good angle, and made a pass right away on that next straight. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like that's where that's where I think the ten second pit stop caused the accident. Not just because it put them side by side. But you could hear the frustration in Max's voice with it. And he's frustrated. And, and you know, I, I think that he, you know, he loses his patience and, and that's what happens, right? And I think that was, I forget the stat. Do you remember the number of how many races it had been since Lewis had a DNF? It was some incredible number. Like, uh, yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it happened at all last year, did it? They were saying it didn't. Like, I mean, it had been so long since Lewis. And I think it's because Lewis is a patient driver. Yeah, you know, he didn't. You know, he doesn't take that. But he's also always been in contention for a world championship, so he's not going to go diving down the inside, late breaking all of that crazy stuff, putting his right. car. So, I think yeah. I think to your point, just to finish off mine, um, related to him not stopping to see Lewis and the way that he went in that corner, speaks to yeah, he's twenty three. Like he's still he still has some immaturity about himself that. You just, it's going to be hard to, to change that overnight. And it's really tough to accept and watch sometimes as a fan. But, you know, at the same time, the reasons that he's being called immature and aggressive can win him, win him championships and win him races too. So uh, it's certainly unfortunate in that regard, but, you know, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, it's still the same points advantage for Max that he had when he came in. Uh, so we've got that going for us. The problem is, 
they're going to the most boring track on the calendar, and that would be Sochi, Russia, uh, next time they're out, which is in two weekends from now. Uh, it's going to probably be Valtteri Bottas winning because he loves that track. He's won there the last two times, uh, and there isn't a lot of overtaking there either. But one thing to note with Max's penalty, so we've talked about Max got a, a penalty from the FIA or for the stewards, not from the FIA, but from the stewards of that race, for him being, quote-unquote, predominantly um, the reason that there was a crash, uh, being at fault, predominantly, predominantly at fault. So they gave him a three-grid um, penalty for the next race. If he qualifies on pole, he's got to go back and forth. Well, they need to replace their engine. They still have not replaced it since the Silverstone crash. And that's going to mean that they're outside their allocation of replacing engines before getting penalty points. So just like Valtteri Bottas did this past weekend, Max, if they take it at Sochi, we'll get a five-place grid penalty and it wipes out what he got from Monza because it's technically a harsher penalty. So there is talk that, especially with the way the engines have been this year for Honda, and it being a brand new one, you should have more power, that they'll take their chances, they'll qualify with, um, they'll, they'll go through the whole weekend with that new engine, try to get up front, take a five place grid penalty, back to six, and then work their way up you know, throughout the race. So just something to keep in mind for people, because they're going to have two weeks before the next race, that could be part of the strategy for Red Bull to have their best car possible at that track and keep that points advantage. Well, they were going to do that anyway, right? And so... Well, know, they just didn't know when. They weren't sure when, and now they, they might just do it now. Right, yeah, well, why not? Right, so, yeah, why not? None of, so, that, none of that makes any sense to me, Joe. Like, <laughs> you need to pay the price for that accident. You can't just like, hey, man, I, I, like, I owe you $3, but I already owe you 5 so let me just pay you what I already owe you, and we'll forget about that other $3. That I, I totally, I totally agree. And there's some other things throughout our show that are in that same vein. So let's get to that, shall we? Uh, that'll do it for F1. Let's bring it back here stateside in the Commonwealth this weekend, NASCAR at Richmond. It's showtime. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing today, boys. All right. So second round of the round of 16 in the playoffs of the NASCAR championship run. And once again, JGR on top at the end of the race. This time it's Martin Truex Jr. winning for the third time in five tries at Richmond. Him and Danny Hammond love this track. They love, JGR loves these style of tracks. Kyle Busch had a great race as well. So now they are front runners uh, when it comes to the playoffs. Let's go ahead and not talk about the race just yet because it was kind of boring. And I can say that because I was there. Uh, a pretty good perspective on this <laughs> yes yeah, so i actually got to see both xfinity and um cup series races but real quick let's go through the um top 10 from the race and then we'll get to the um standings and tell you who's out with only one race to go so looking at richmond from this past weekend you had top 10 ryan blaney last lap pass getting around austin Dillon. i got to see it from the start finish line as we were leaving the event we're walking down and pissed off because he hasn't had a great race his pit crew let him down again you can listen to radioactive and he even says it all effing year long these pit these pits have been shit and he's right uh but <laughs> walking next to the track going in the last lap he's in 11th i see him try to pass austin Dillon going into turn two i don't see him anymore because i can't i'm on the ground level coming out of turn four here comes number 12 in front of number three Top 10 finish for Ryan Blaney. Once again, out driving his equipment. Um, ninth place, Kyle Busch. Kevin Harvick, again, continuing to put in good results here in the playoffs, finishing eighth. Ross Chastain being the best of the rest for sure. I mean, at this stage, he's definitely going to finish 17th uh, in the point standings at the end of the year. He's having a fantastic finish to the season. Kyle Larson, a mediocre sixth place finish. Uh, for him, Joey Logano under the radar once again in fifth. Chase Elliott, the highest finishing Hendrick car in fourth place. And then JGR locks out the quote unquote podium with Christopher Bell third, Denny Hamlin second, and Martin Truex Jr. in first. Before I go to the standings, do you have any thoughts, Brad? Well, we heard early on in the season, we were talking about like, oh, could JGR get you know, three of the top four, two of the top four? And then all of a sudden we saw. Hendrick's cars just start to dominate for a period of time. 
but now we're kind of back. So this is where I'm one lap down, Joe. I mean, is this just, is this like the type of tracks that we're racing at? Is it improvements they're making throughout the year? I mean, because there's definitely the talent, especially with Truex and Hamlin and the history that they've had winning races. You know, where are we at right now? I mean, are, is the next bit of the calendar going to swing more towards a certain team or another? Um, and, and is your guy going to figure out how to have a clean pit stops? <laughs> hey, don't say your guy. It's not his fault. All right. He's got a crew to blame for that stuff. Um, goal, timing. I'm going to put the blame on him, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so to your first question, Yes, some of this is just strictly because of the tracks that we're at and the drivers that are in the car. Don't get me wrong, the car themselves, the JGR cars are really good at these right around one mile long tracks. But Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr., no matter the car they've ever been in, these are where they dominate. They're just comfortable in these environments because that's what they drove on, right? It's what they have um, you know, become used to in their, their time coming up through the ranks. So that's part of it, certainly. And to your second point or to your second uh, question or inquiry, I think that you're right about the upcoming races as well. I mean, this weekend it's Bristol. So who the hell knows? There's not really an advantage for anybody. But when you get past this into the round of 12, you've got Las Vegas, which is a mile and a half. You got Talladega. You got the road course. You're going to see, I think you're going to start seeing Hendrick come back in because they've got the speed. They got a great engine this year. They've got great road course drivers on in their lineup. Um, and then you get to the round of eight, Texas Motor Speedway, Kansas, larger tracks again before you get back to Martinsville. So I, I think it's just a kind of a sequence thing. Penske is going to be right there in the middle trying to take advantage of anything that opens up for them. But certainly right now the tracks favor JGR. And then coming up, it's going to go back to Hendrick, I think, um, here, here shortly. So um, that's just based off history. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, it just seems kind of weird, right? We got the, like, this is going to be rounds of elimination and we go through the first three tracks are these like shorter tracks, right? We go Darlington and we go Richmond and Bristol. Like, why isn't it like, why isn't each round, especially if you're having three races, why aren't we going like a larger track, a short track? And if they want to put a road course in there, why isn't it like a sampling of different types of things? Like, is there a reason for that? I it seems what I'll say, just based on, I have no expert knowledge on this, like the three tracks you just mentioned, they're pretty easy to get to within one week's time. So geographically, travel logistics, easy, Darlington, South Carolina, Richmond, Virginia, Bristol, Tennessee, like it's just a big kind of triangle. So are we, we going to tag NASCAR in this post and tell them that they just do things the easy way and not the <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say, Joe? I, I mean... No, but maybe, uh, maybe we can, uh, because then you go out to Las Vegas and then you work your way back to Alabama for Talladega, then Charlotte, then Texas, then Kansas, then back to Virginia, you know, and then out to Phoenix. So from here on out, it's kind of bouncing around a lot more than it has been recently. So that is a good question. It's a really good point as far as scheduling, uh, how, how, what, what has determined where we go when we go, uh, essentially for the, for the NASCAR folks. So it's a good question. And, and since we're both on video, I may clip this and they can, you know, I'm wearing my NASCAR shirt. Like maybe we'll get some love. Uh, I'll stop my videos. There you go. So you can just do that. Oh, come on. No, put that back up. It's a lot better. In a sweatshirt in the middle, the middle of my lunch break here. So love it. Love it. Hey, real quick. Let's uh, just tell you about the, the championship standings. Of course, it's just to the second round, but Kyle Busch with his top 10 finish is back within the safe zone. Again, after this weekend at Bristol, the top 12 will advance to the next round of playoffs. Currently under the playoff line, 200 cars, Alex Bowman and William Byron. You also have Tyler Reddick, the lone RCR representative, and then Michael McDowell still riding that Daytona high, but he is about to be eliminated, folks. Unless, unless he wins at Bristol, which would be very unlikely, but he wasn't supposed to win in February either. Um, with their wins, Denny Hamlin and Martin Truex Jr. Uh, have already clinched a spot in the round of 12, so they're first and second. Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney are your top uh, five drivers. Then you have Kevin Harvick, Chase Elliott, Christopher Bell, Brad Keselowski in ninth, Kyle Busch in 10th, Eric Almirola, and then Kurt Busch are your top 12. So. Brad K just hanging around, dudes. I got, I got some nice new Brad K merch courtesy of Joe Putzler. I'm going to – you can put me on the camera. I'm going to grab that. 
Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. This weekend at Richmond, I had to get some Ryan Blaney swag. And of course I was at the Roger Penske team Penske trailer. And because Brad was kind enough to get me a Ryan Blaney swag from Texas, I have Ooh. added to his collection of road signs <laughs> or Ooh. wall signage. Is that, is that reverse? Can you read it? Oh, uh, good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Right. Yeah. My side, it's mirrored, right? So. And fun fact, um, I actually left this at the place I was staying at this weekend. So I have to get this back from them. But the koozie you have, I have the same one. It's just 12 instead of a two. So we have our Americana koozies that we can use together. That is, that is so cute, Joe. <laughs> uh, hey, before we talk about, um, well, let's just talk about Bristol. It's this weekend, Saturday night, final playoff race for the round of 16. It's Bristol, baby. It's not going to be dirt this time. It's going to be asphalt. It's going to be great. Starts with Arca Series on Thursday and runs through Saturday with a lot of NASCAR stuff going on uh, down there in the butt crack of Virginia slash Tennessee. Um, so before we get to Open Wheeled American Madness, I do want us to talk a little bit just briefly about this Bush Clash announcement that came out yesterday. It was rumored last week. We briefly mentioned it on the show, but now it's official. The Bush Clash, which is what typically starts Speed Weeks or is a part of Speed Weeks leading up to the Daytona 500, will be not in Daytona, as it, as it always has been since the very beginning. It will be in the L.A. Coliseum where the football field is. Not racing through L.A., y'all. They're putting a, a track inside the stadium for the spectacle that it would be, which is going to be a very short track, by the way. It's supposed to have new cars. This idea of trying to spread NASCAR into something, into a popular market, it's the same weekend as the Super Bowl. I don't know how they think they're going to compete at all with that type of coverage, but nevertheless. Is the Super Bowl out there? Yes, Super Bowl is in the new SoFi Stadium where the Chargers and Rams play. So they're trying to bank off of, hey, you're here for football. Come on and watch some NASCAR. And I mean, it seems like this is a seems like it's a good idea. To me. Like I know. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. I just I like it, Joe. Logistically, logistically, it's stupid. Logistically, it's tough on these teams. Joe is on the mindset that you need to just continue doing what you've been doing and try to and do it until it works. And don't no. try anything new. Don't try to put NASCAR in Super Bowl Sunday weekend, you know, because that would be wrong, according to Joe Hutzler. How is it going to be any better than what they're already doing? If you don't watch NASCAR anyway, what is this going to do for you? You're going to turn it on. You're going to see, oh, they're still making left turns. I don't like NASCAR. This doesn't make it any better for me. They're going to have all kinds of like NFL personalities are going to be there and celebrities. And it's probably going to be all this. It's probably going to be short. And I'm telling you, man, it's, it's interesting. I'm excited. Is, look, a one-off event. Sure. Let's try it. I'm always down to try something, but I just don't think that this is a solution. I don't even know what the problem is. That's the other thing. I don't know if they're trying, if, if it's numbers of people in the stadium that they've struggled with in the Bush class for the last couple of years, or if it's TV numbers or what, but I don't see how this makes that that much better. It is going to introduce it to an audience that may not um, already know about it, but I would also argue that if you're a football fan, you know about NASCAR. Like it, it becomes kind of one and the same in, in most areas of this country. So I don't know. I, it just seems very gimmicky, um, but you know what, go for it. And I'm sure I'll watch it. <laughs> um, if I could be there to watch it in person, I'm sure I would do that too. I just don't know if it's the best thing for the teams um, and having to, okay, now we got to go back to Florida for Daytona 500. We didn't get any practice on the Daytona track. We're just at this little small thing. And now we have to you know, hope that we get it right. with the brand new car that we've never raced before. <laughs> let's, let's see how this goes. So Anyway, that's that's my two cents on it. So whatever. Have fun. No, oh, let that be the final word. I will say cool uh, visor from Alvin Kamara this weekend. That was pretty neat. The Saints running back putting the NASCAR logo in there. That was that pretty was cool. cool. That was pretty cool. All right, let's move on. Uh, IndyCar was back, y'all, and they were out west. So let's stay out there. 
So the Grand Prix of Portland was among us this Sunday at three o'clock during football watching hours, but some of us still watched it. Some of us didn't. Um, I won't say who was who, but nevertheless, we did have some first lap drama thanks to the first turn, which apparently at that track is always the case. Uh, Some drivers had penalties and had to move to the back of the field, lost some positions, uh, namely Alex Pillow, Scott Dixon, some big Uh, Joseph Newgarden, some big championship drivers, had to recover. And in the end, Pelot recovered the best for his third win this season and retakes the points lead with only two races left. Brad, I would like for you to tell the people the results of the race and the standings because this, for a a series that nobody freaking watches apparently, is the most exciting series that we have going related to championship points right now. And, and, and Joe is calling me out, especially I make it a high side my last couple of weeks looking so forward to this race. And uh, there has not been a like two hour chunk of time for me to have watched the, the race in its entirety. So I'm very- Yes, IndyCar makes videos that you can watch it in five minutes. So I'm just putting yeah. it out there. But I'm, t- I'm saying that I want to watch the entire thing. <laughs> tonight is the night. I'm going to have some time to get back and watch it. But we needed to record this morning because you're heading to Bristol. So make sure I got caught up, but let me hit you with the top 10 from the race. Coming in 10th after leading 36 laps of the race, Graham Rahal. Uh, you got Scott McLaughlin coming in at ninth, eighth, Colton Herta, seventh, Marcus Erickson. Again, he led a lap and solid finish for Marcus Erickson. Again, he's doing pretty well this year. Felix Rosenquist in sixth, Joseph Newgarden in fifth, Jack Harvey, big finish for him in the top five, finishing fourth. Scott Dixon always lingering around in third. Alexander Rossi in second. And then after a couple of bad luck races, we got Alex Pillow leading 29 laps of the race and winning uh, your Grand Prix of Portland. So I think that's, you know, again, as we've said, it kind of sets up like this very interesting battle that's continuing. And so, you know, kind of going through the way that our top five is shaken out, you know, in the point standings, we've got 402 points to Marcus Erickson, 428. Uh, when that's in fifth, 428 to Scott Dixon in fourth, in third, 443 to Joseph Newgarden, 452 to Pato Award in second, and then Alex Blow leading now with 477. I mean, we like what's going to happen here, Joe? Like, what do we have anything decided? Is anything, uh, you know, is anything given right now? Uh- I don't have a clue. I mean, this is our first time really paying attention to IndyCar and you're looking at the top four being separated by 50 points. So, Mm -hmm. I I mean, you're going to Laguna Seca next and then Long Beach. These are road course style uh, tracks where you hit a curb the wrong way and boom, you're done. Um, Mm -hmm. So anything could happen at this point. You got to respect the wily old vet of Scott Dixon still putting himself in there. Major respect to Marcus Erickson, by the way. They said this year he had to get his stuff together. He's got two wins to show for it, three top fives. They're in fifth place. He's not going to win the championship, but a top five finish for a guy who's making a transition from F1 IndyCar, kudos to him. Um, I think you know having a four-way battle for the points is the only reason you should tune in. I mean, forget everything else. That should be reason enough to check out the races over the next two weekends. There are no more breaks. Like there's Laguna Seca and Long Beach. The championship will be decided in the next 14 to however, whatever today is, 14 days. Just say it's 14 days. Um, so I'm intrigued by it. I love it. I think that um, – I think Alex Pillow is going to get it done. I, I mean, no offense to Pato Award. Um, this weekend was really tough on him getting a, t- a 14th place finish. But I don't, want to, I don't want to take away anything from the experience of Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon, but every time this young kid, Alex Pillow, has a chance to flex his muscles, he's done it. Mm-hmm. And so I think – and plus he's got the equipment too, right? And he's, he's Scott Dixon's teammate. So he's got the ability to know that he can trust in the equipment that he has. It's going to take a freak thing, like his engine just giving out on him like I did a couple weeks ago, 
or a crash. Otherwise, I think he's still the favorite to get it done because he's been doing it all year long. Pato yep. seems to go, come and go in waves. So maybe this past weekend was the, the bottom of one of those waves, and he's not going to have time to come back up. So I think Pelot gets it done. I think Scott Dixon finishes second. I think he's going to find a way to still get up there. And Ganassi leaving NASCAR, but continuing to dominate an IndyCar. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know. I, I, I like Joseph Newgarden. I like, the, I, I like where Joseph Newgarden is sitting at right now. I think that he's got a really interesting shot where, you know, if he makes something happen in these last couple of races, I mean, he's right there with them. He kind of was, he wasn't really one of the main guys all season. And so, you know, maybe that's just uh, trying to, trying to think outside of the main contenders, but uh, you know, I know that was somebody that, that Jason was really keen on early in the year, right. When we kind of did our preview. So uh, I expect this one to get tight, right. Like, uh, especially these, these road courses, there's going to be people that are getting to get aggressive and looking forward to uh, getting to watch those live. I'm so excited about this weekend, man. Laguna Seca has one of the tracks that I love and hate on Gran Turismo or iRacing, whatever, whatever allows you Forza. Uh, it'll be three o'clock on NBC this Sunday, uh, the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey. And a quick fact about Laguna Seca, the biggest selling point and like where all the photos are taken is the corkscrew if you've never seen it it's in turn turn eight you're coming up on a, coming up a hill high speed you gotta slow down and it's not just like a chicane right it is you're coming in you gotta make a left downhill and as you're coming down the hill you gotta make a right and it's a pretty good elevation drop very hard turn to make in most video games and and the way that actual drivers take it is is incredible um but a fun fact about the uh reason for that corkscrew so here is bear with me it's a paragraph it's not too long a couple sentences so laguna seca is spanish for dry lake by the way let's let's do a little bit of education on language there um it was uh it's what the track was before the u.s army took it over to establish fort ord so technically the track is on an old army base as well. So when they were constructing the track back in the 50s, it was agreed that the land should be changed as little as possible. Hence, the elevation changes throughout the track. They didn't want to mess with it too much. Um, so this is legend, but it still sounds pretty cool. As legend has it, the corkscrew came to be when the crew told the bulldozer driver to, quote, get down the hill any way you can as they were going to lunch. And when they came back, that's what they had. They paved it and boom, there's the corkscrew. So really, really, really interesting um, fun fact about Laguna Seca. VIR, by the way, in Danville, Virginia, has a very similar story, but not as, uh, as famous. So really cool stuff surrounding this track, and it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun watching them get through it this weekend. Look at you digging up the facts. I love this stuff, man. I love it. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit too. Uh, all right, any more uh, words from you before we get to the – Three and a half second, boys and girls. Hit, hit them with the, the, the NHRA. I'm good to go. Here we go. We're dialing it in for the Mopar Nationals from Reading, Pennsylvania. The drivers are ready. The fans are packing the stands. And it's time to race. Second race of the countdown, the championship in the National Hot Rod Association. And it was a different Torrance winning the top fuel class this time around. Billy Torrance, Steve's dad, takes the win in top fuel. Tommy Johnson Jr. in subbing for uh, Matt Hagen, who was out for the second straight race with COVID-19, wins it in funny car over John Force, who Tommy Johnson was two-tenths slower off the starting line, ends up beating John by two-tenths at the finish line. So clearly had a much faster car. Greg Anderson wins in Pro Stock, uh, Pro Stock Eliminator, which is the car. He ties Warren Johnson's all-time win record with 97 wins. He'll probably get another one here during the countdown and win another championship as well. And then Steve Johnson, a bit of a surprise in Pro Stock Bikes, gets the victory and becomes a points leader. Matt Smith has been leading all year long, but this is why they have this countdown because it gives other teams a chance uh, at the end of the season instead of just having – uh, the writing on the wall for a couple of weeks. So really interesting thing with Tommy Johnson Jr. that I'm, it's kind of like the Max Verstappen, you know, hey, you're going to get a three-place grid penalty. Oh, we could change our engine. It negates that instead of being eight, 
because the three and the five for the grid, uh, replacing the engine, it's just going to be five. Well, Tommy Johnson Jr. is filling in for uh, Matt Hagen, but because, I guess because of the circumstance being COVID-19, whatever Tommy does, Matt still gets all the points. So Matt Hagen is second in points, just five points behind John Force, which some people have had a little bit of issue with because Matt's not doing the driving. It's someone else doing it. But then you factor in, well, it's the same crew, so maybe they should still, you know, you shouldn't be penalized for, for COVID-19. Um, when F1 was having those issues last year, the points didn't go to Sergio. They went to Hulkenberg. So just saying, there's, it's different. Every, every sanctioning body is different. But really interesting, uh, Tommy Johnson comes in as a major super sub, and now Matt Hagen has a chance to win the championship, and he hasn't even raced in the last two weeks. That's wild. That's really weird. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so, like, are we celebrating the driver or the car or the team? Like, which is the one? I, right, I, I don't know. I, does Tommy Johnson have to give the trophy to Matt Hagen since Matt Hagen's getting the points? I doubt it. Who knows? So weird stuff. Weird stuff. Uh, nevertheless, this weekend they're in Charlotte, North Carolina, at Z Max Dragway, which is a four-wide monster of drag racing. 44,000 horsepower, all hitting the gas at once. It's going to be a good time down there in Charlotte. Uh, you can check the action out on Fox this weekend. Okay, that's enough of recapping. Let's go to our high side and low side of the week. Every show, Brad and I go through our highlights and lowlights from the previous weekend's action. And as it has become custom, I go first. And I will talk about my experience of truly appreciating Dale Earnhardt Jr. on the track anywhere. So just a backstory. Growing up, Dale Earnhardt Jr. was a big deal. Obviously, his dad was too. Um, and even after his dad passed, Dale Jr. was, you know, multiple, multiple popular driver of the year. Still would probably be voted the most popular driver that he was allowed to be in the voting. No offense to Chase, but that's just people still love him. And even people like myself who didn't root for him because I felt like, well, maybe he's getting fans because his dad passed away and all the stupid things you think when you're like 12 and 13 years old and you're, you're uh, being molded by the people around you. Now that I'm older and I can make my own opinion, I listen to his podcast every week and I love what he does with the history of, of motorsports and specifically stock car racing. Um, I'm a big Dale Jr. guy, love it. And this past weekend, he's racing at Richmond and he's in the Xfinity series. It's his only race of the year. And I'm telling you, dude, he was still the most popular person out there. No question about it whatsoever. Even, in, even when he was like in 12th, first of all, he had to start in 30th and he moved his way up to the top 10. He, when he got inside the top 10, that place went berserk just because he got inside the top 10. And I was with it. I was standing up like, yeah, man, get him. Go around, go, go, go. Like I'm, I'm a Dale Jr. fan in that moment. And so it's real. The, the fandom is real for Dale Jr. because he's such a genuine person um, and he does so much for the sport. And I was really pleased to be able to experience that for what it is. We talked about this before, right? I appreciate what Jimmy Johnson did now, but in the moment, he was the reason I stopped watching NASCAR. I have to take a step back and appreciate what Lewis Hamilton has done throughout his career. So I'm trying to do more of that. And this weekend, I got a chance to do it in person. It was really, really cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that was really cool. I know how excited you were to get to see him race and, and you know, he announced it would be his last one, right? So getting that a great opportunity to be out there and to see that. Uh, my high side of the week, definitely. I mean, we got McLaren going one, two on Sunday. How could that not be? Uh, I mean, just really fun to see. I mean, obviously as a fan, but I think that the highest part of that is that you get to see kind of Daniel Ricardo, somebody who is a popular driver, like what you're talking about, you know, kind of giving a little bit of redemption there. And, you know, I know that people have kind of made fun of his struggles in the new car and and you know, not what he was when he was with Red Bull and and and, and all of that. But I think it's important to remember, too, I don't believe that he has been home since March of 2020. Right. I think that he has not been able to go back to Australia and, you know, hopefully he's been able to interact with family in some way or another. But I don't really think that he's been able to be with them in person. And that's that's got to be tough. man. that's that's going on. We're getting close to two years. And, and I know that he has suffered and struggled with that. So 
very happy for him. You could see the elation, not just because of a win. It felt like you could feel it was more than just winning on that day. So very happy for him. Very happy for Lando getting his highest podium. Definitely my high side of the of the week. Um, what's your low side, Joe? Well, I do want to, I just got this on my phone. I want to add to your uh, happiness for Danny Rick. Uh, he is going to be even more happy because it has been confirmed. He will drive that 1984 Dale Earnhardt Monte Carlo that Zach promised. If you want to race, he could drive it. Um, so it is happening. I'm trying to scroll through the article to see if it says when. It does not give a date, time, or, or place that he's going to be. But uh, NASCAR fans, Formula One fans, get ready that number three Wrangler car is going to be back on the track and Daniel Ricardo is going to be inside of it. That's got to be super cool. That's pretty sweet. All right. So let's take all the feel good out of this. Uh, no, no, just kidding. My, my low side is, is more of a personal thing. Um, and it's not, you know, I've kind of harped on a couple of issues I've had already in the show. Um, I just, I'm, I'm in it, man. And I, the stress level is high. Like I'm starting to get a little frustrated with myself that I'm not really enjoying these races as much as maybe I did earlier in the season or last year. I was just trying to get back into motorsports, but I mean, I'm having serious anxiety moments watching these races. And, you know, when Max goes out, I'm, I'm upset, but I'm like, well, at least it's Lewis and, and it's not going to affect his championship stuff. <laughs> Um, I, but I'm following everything to a T hoping there's an advantage there. Um, Ryan Blaney, like I'm giving him a thumbs down, not for him, but for his crew, like as he's coming past, like I'm, you know, like I matter, like what I say matters, but it's, it's given me like heart palpitations watching these races. And so I'm, I'm considering it a low side because I need to calm down to where I can appreciate the races for what they are and not get so worked up over, one individual or, or one specific event. So maybe with age, I'm noticing that earlier than I would have before, but man, it's just, I got to calm down because it's, I'm not, I'm not allowing myself to enjoy what's happening because I'm just so damn stressed over a tire changer or, you know, what, whatever uh, may become an issue for my particular favorite driver. So not really a, a you know, super low side, just a, like an observation that I had over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I, it's, it's with, with any kind of fandom, right? Watching in sports or in, and try not to get too overwhelmed or invested and in just enjoying it for what it is. And that's just entertainment, right? That's what mm -hmm. we're doing here. And that's what, that's what it is, but it's tough to not associate that with, uh, with a little bit more. Um, I, my low side of the week is just like, I don't really understand where we're at with like with the FIA and formula one and some of these, these weird rules with the, with the NASCAR playoffs and, and what you're talking about with NHRA, like just, there's weird, like there's so many like ambiguous rules, like, and then something like a sport that should be so clear cut, like I beat you to the line, I win the race. Like there's so many technicalities that, that just don't seem like they're truly figured out and the subjectivity of it all, like, right, like, you know, you look at in the, like, you know, every week, it seems like people are blowing up about something that the FIA is doing with Formula One, right, I don't really understand, like, I, I get that the, the NASCAR playoff system has been evolving, but it still doesn't seem like they've got it really figured out, um, you know, and, and where that needs to be, um, you know, and then, and then too, I think, you know, you know, nothing specific with IndyCar, but we kind of, we can kind of look at that one where, you know, we're not seeing like massive penalties and they're doing a similar setup to like what formula one does with their driver's championship. We've got two races left and we have no idea who's going to win. Right. It could be any of those five people we were talking about. So um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't get it. Uh, it's it's kind of, it's just so weird that it, an objective sport like, like motorsports comes down to so many like ambiguous subjective rules. Ain't that the truth, man? We've we talked about it, especially at, at uh, Spa. You know, how can a sport that is the most technical, the most advanced of any motorsport out there, you don't even know what's going on halfway through a rain delay? Like how many laps have we, have we actually done? How many do we need to do? What does this mean? What does that mean? Everything's still left to uh, officials at, at, at the end of the day. There's, there's not enough clear-cut black and white uh, rules. It's very much like baseball. There's all these unwritten things and, you know, well, as a race car driver, you have to know that this is your line or you can't take that away. I'm like, dude, I'm going 200 miles an hour. You think I give a shit about the line? Like I'm trying to get around this person. 
So I'm with you on that. It's, it makes it very hard as a, as a fan to, you just don't know. You don't know what, you can't even give an opinion because at the end of the day, it's going to be someone else's opinion that, you know, drops the gavel. So very, very good point by you, uh, especially now that we're in the playoffs. We shouldn't have to worry. Our headline shouldn't be about this kind of stuff. It should be more about the races and, and the results as opposed to did someone give somebody enough room. Uh, it's really interesting. Okay, checkered flag is waved. We're still in the back, but we're still coming on strong for the next race. The car is on the trailer, but we've got some final thoughts. And for me, well, I'm going to be around trailers and cars uh, over the next couple of days. I am fortunate enough, super blessed to be able to go down to Bristol, Tennessee to experience covering an ARCA race, uh, which is the level below trucks. And then because of the way that the logistics are, um, when ARCA is getting ready to go, their haulers have to come out so the truck haulers can come in. Therefore, the ARCA cars cannot leave the track until the truck race is over. So at around 8.30, 9 o'clock, I'll be able to sit there in the infield and watch the truck race for free. So that's going to be a pretty awesome uh, experience for me and just going to be fun to be in Bristol. I've never been. I've always wanted to go. It's one of those tracks that you put on your list. Uh, your bucket list and you hope you get a chance. Always thought it would be in the stands looking down on the action, but now I'm going to be at the bottom of that action looking up. So going to be really, really fun uh, to experience that with Justin Carroll. That's who I'm going to cover. You can check him out 6.30 PM Thursday night, FS1, the number 91 car will be out there uh, doing his best. The last time he was in ARCA race, he finished fourth. So hoping to build off of that uh, would be a huge, huge day if he could come out with a victory at one of the most historic tracks in the world. I have one more story, but I'm gonna let you go if you have anything else. Nope, I'm running out of time. I gotta get back in the office, so I'll let you go. Okay, last thing, I just wanted to let everybody know that we are truly one lap down. I, last night was a part of an actual racing event, a 60 minute endurance race. I finished four laps down and wrecked like four times. So that is what happens when we actually try to race. So that's it. We thank you so much for tuning in to the show this week. You can check us out on social media, on Twitter, at One Lap Down Pod. Also on Facebook and YouTube. I think I might have a YouTube video this week. Who knows? At One Lap Down Podcast. Uh, until next week, we'll be right back here, wherever you're listening to us. I'm Joe Hutzler. Thank you. And we'll talk to you later.